Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. So happy, as always, you're tuning in the show. What a surprise today. What a great conversation. You tuned in on a very special episode. Stephen Pressfield is on the show. Huge bucket list moment for he, for me here at Dose of Leadership. I've been wanting to talk to Stephen for a long time. Primarily, if you've listened to my show, because of his book, The War of Art. If there's any book that has made such a significant impact on my life, on my entrepreneurial journey, on my personal life, on the way I view the world and the universe, it's been Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art. Such an impactful book. When he originally wrote it, he didn't write it for people like me or entrepreneurs or people trying to lead a significant life. He wrote it for writers because that's how he saw himself, but not for a really long time. He spent decades of his life, almost half a century, wanting to be a writer but not listening to it. He's letting the force of resistance prevent him from doing what he was called to do or what the angels God muse put upon his heart. And he didn't listen to it. And finally, he had enough. He went up to the woods and wrote out his first book, never published it, but that was the day he officially became a writer and basically gave the finger to the resistance saying, hey, no longer am I going to listen to you. It's a powerful book. You've heard me talk about slaying dragons, becoming dragon slayers, you know, letting fear be a barometer. All of this is wrapped up in the war of art. And I highly encourage you to get it, if particularly for those on this leadership journey, because a lot of the stuff I talk about here, the philosophies that you hear me talk about on Dose of Leadership fits in so nicely. And it's because of the war of art, and I was so excited to get him on the show. That isn't the only book he wrote. Obviously, I came across Stephen Pressfield with because of his kind of historical fiction or his knack for historical fiction, The Gates of Fire, huge book I highly recommend too if you're kind of a history buff like me, where it historical fiction book about the actual events of the Battle of Thermopylae where the 300 Spartans held off Xerxes at the pass. That's a great book. But he also wrote The Legend of Bagger Vance, Ties of War, The Afghan Campaign, and he's got a brand new book out there, A Man of Arms. Highly recommend it. It's first historical fiction uh, book that came out in the past 13 years. It took him 13 years to write another historical fiction book, and this one is great. Did not disappoint. And it's a book about love, and I highly encourage you to Go get it because we talk about love here a lot on Dose of Leadership. And uh, man, I just, I'm so excited for you to listen to this conversation. One note, I got to give a special thanks to Stephen Pressfield. He's so patient. He's so kind. He's the real deal. I had huge technical difficulties in this conversation. You're not going to know it because I edited it together. Uh, but using these newfangled podcast applications, software applications, supposed to make it seamless for myself and the guest. Well, They've been nothing but disappointing, and this one was just so embarrassing. It's knocked us off three times, uh, but we made it happen, and sometimes great things come out of difficult situations, and hopefully you'll find this a value-packed, meaningful, and significant conversation. I know I did. It was a true thrill to have him on the show. It's brought to you by my sponsor, Hutton. So thrilled to have Hutton as a sponsor of this show. They design, they build, and service commercial construction projects all throughout the Midwest. They're longtime fans of this show, and they're committed to the highest standards of leadership 
and so happy they're supporting Dose of Leadership as a sponsor. They're behind so many projects, from stunning structures built from the ground up to remodeled hospitals and medical offices, manufacturing and industrial facilities, municipal buildings and financial institutions, churches, schools, spaces of all sizes. If it can be built, Hutton's probably built it. These days, they're both architects and builders because increasingly that's what you want, right? If you're going to build something, a single trusted partner to work with from start to finish, they get that at Hutton and that's what they do. It's their vision delivered from paper to structure. And it's more than a construction project for them. It's a creative endeavor, something new on the horizon that they're all proud to put their names on. Design, built, done. They put people over projects always. That's how it goes They for everything. They, that's how they treat their clients, their employees, their community. Character counts for them. And that's how they select their staff, their subcontractors, how they serve the community. It's not lip service. I've seen it in action. I know them personally. They're professional, hardworking, charitable, Midwestern in all the best ways. That's their culture, which really is no culture at all. It's just who they are. That's Hutton. To learn more, go check them out at HuttonBuilds.com slash TogetherWeBuild. That's HuttonBuilds.com slash TogetherWeBuild to learn more. Thanks for being a listener of this show. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you're looking for some leadership training in your organization, if you're struggling to find an impactful way, an economical way to get your people trained to understand the concept of leadership that we talk about here in Dose of Leadership, go check out my Dose of Leadership University. I've had a lot of people want to sign up individually and they want their organization to pay for it. So you know what? I'm going to target organizations. If you're looking for some meaningful, impactful leadership training to surround people out of a community of 30 like-minded leaders, individuals, real leaders, not just consultants, but people that own businesses, people who are mid-level managers, who are supervisors, who are leaders in their own right. They are my mentors in my Dose of Leadership University, and you can interact with me and them. So I encourage you to sign up your organization, your high performers in your organization, and get them associated with the Dose of Leadership University. It's $1,500 for six months. If you're looking to send three, four, five people through your organization through an impactful significance course around leadership to solve real-life leadership challenges and problems, and you want on the other end that high performer to be that much more of an impactful leader in your organization, go check out Dose of Leadership University. Go to doseofleadership.com, click on the university menu item, or go to doseofleadership.com slash university to watch a video and learn more. All right, let's get on with this amazing conversation with Stephen Pressfield here on Dose of Leadership. Stephen Pressfield on Dose of Leadership. Welcome to the show, my friend. Ah, it's great to be here, Richard. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is this is a bucket list thing for me. I've I've been uh, wanting to talk to you for years. I'll just get this out of the way. I want to thank you personally for uh, the War of Art has been instrumental personally and professionally for me. It's been probably the source that has probably steered my path more than anything was was that. So I want to thank you for that book first uh, and foremost. Oh, great! My my pleasure. I'm delighted that it helped. And when I even coach, when I do some individual coaching, I don't do it that much anymore. But when I do, I, I always have them read that before we start the sessions. Ah. Because this this whole concept of resistance was so eye-opening to me. I mean, it, it was it spoke to me because it was things I was feeling inside, but I just couldn't articulate it. And your book helped me articulate it. And that's that ah. what was so great oh, about great. it. Oh, great, great. Wow, this new book, A Man at Arms, great job. I really, I really enjoyed it. Ah, thank you. Thanks for reading. Yeah. And what I loved about it, I don't know what your intention was when you wrote it, but it's what I talk a lot about here on Dose of Leadership was this, this idea of love. And I think that's what this book is about. I think it's about love at the end of the day. Yes, right? it is. Definitely. 
a kind of a passage from from fear to love or from anger to love. Because everything kind of serves around that. I mean, I think when I came from the Marine Corps and, I, and it didn't come clear to me until I got out of the Marine Corps, I got laid off from American Airlines in 2001. I went straight to the Marine Corps, to the airlines, and then I got laid off into the corporate arena. And that's when all the lessons, I took it for granted when I was in it because I'm around the same same bunch of knuckleheads all the time, and I take it for uh-huh. granted. But it was a very loving organization, and I think yes. you get that. A lot of your a lot of your writings, of course, Gates of Fire was was important to me too because it talks about that type of leadership that I was so used to, right? And it's a very loving organization. What do you think about when you hear me say that? Uh, you know, I had never actually thought about it in those terms. Love using the word love for the Marine Corps, but <laughs> you're right; it really is. I mean, there's a tremendous, it's just a weird sort of kind of male to male love, you know, that yeah. involves a lot of abuse and things like that, you know, but not <laughs> real abuse, not real abuse, you know, abuse, camaraderie type abuse, um, well, you, you know, a way of, of a, for a man to express love to another man is, you know, is it some sort of a indirect way. Right. Well, it's the agape based. But you're absolutely right. right. You're absolutely yeah. right. And it's weird it's- to come out of it because then you have to sort of, you know, what had been discipline now has to become self-discipline mm-hmm. and, and you have to and what had been love has to become self-love. And that's a tough one. Yeah, I think that the more that I've dove into this, this leadership side of the business, the speaking, the teaching, the consulting and the podcast is this whole it always goes back to love of. And again, it's the agape style of love of like I sacrifice so that you may prosper. You know, and you look at all of the characters you wrote, even Gates of Fire, there's some great examples of love in that. Right. All of those leaders setting the example, yeah. you know, being on the front lines, the fight, they're eating last, you know, they're the first to rise up, they're the last ones to go to bed, all that kind of stuff. That's all rooted yeah. in love. Yeah, which comes from the reality of the Spartan culture, you know, mm-hmm. right? You know, it wasn't a story that I was making up, that was real. Yeah. So the central theme in all your books, and I'm reading, when I look at this man, Telamon in the book, and there seems to be characters like these kind of this solitary characters in all your 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 books, right? And so is the whole, you know, this, this journey of Telamon of this guy who's like, doesn't rely on anybody, he seems to only be fascinated about money. And as he interacts with David and meets Michael and, of course, Ruth, out of all those characters, who, who what is the moment do you think that he finally realizes that, wow, I'm really nothing? Without love, without charity, I have nothing. What is the moment for him? Do you think who who's the who's well, the? I don't want to give away too much of the story. I know, right? I know. But it's after the terrible thing happens to him, about two yeah. thirds of the way through. Uh, you know, there's a little speech where uh, Timothy, the man made of bees, comes yeah. and says to him, "All your life you have trained, you know, to be superior." to fear and hunger and pain and cold and all that. And now look at you. You're completely helpless and you're completely dependent on on other people. And uh, that's like, you know, a classic all is lost moment, as they say, you know, in the movie business. And, uh, you know, it's it's sort of a traditional thing in, in, you know, in most stories. You know, it sort of comes down to that one way or another whether it's Odysseus or uh, Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca or Clint Eastwood or something like that, yeah. you know? Well, and I, and I think different. it's true for us, for you and me in our real lives. Yeah. 
Well, it's 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 easy to get caught up in, in, I guess, kind of even going back to what you talk about in, in the war of art of how insidious or how subtly powerful or subtly seductive resistance is, right? I mean, you can even talk about it. We can sit here and talk about it for the next 45 minutes or whatever and say, <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. And then I'll walk away from it and I'll just fall right into that trap instantly. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. Yeah. You know, what I appreciate about your story is like, how old were you when you finally, you know, stopped listening to all the voices, went up into the woods and started typing on your typewriter, wrote that first novel and basically said, F you resistance, you know what? It's amazing to me. Tell, tell our listeners how old you are when that finally occurred to you. Well, I was, I, I think I was 54 when I had my first book published, but, you know, along the way there were moments, you know, that were you know, critical moments where I sort of uh, turned pro in a way, you know, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe my mid thirties, like, you know, it's hard for me even to remember where I, where, what it was, but uh, there were, there were more than one moment. That was for sure. There were moments when I thought, uh, okay, now I've turned the corner. Now I can really sit down and do it. But then, you know, it would be another 10 years before I even, you know, made it first, my first nickel. And then another 15 years after that, before anything happened. So it, for, in my life, at least it's been a series of those things, not one. Yeah. It's like there's, yeah, I, I can relate to that, right? It's always, there's never one big, there's a series of splat moments that kind of guide you for this moment, then another splat moment, then a shift and a pivot, right? And, and I think that's yeah. what we got to get used to, right? That's what, that's what's normal in life. I, I think for me, reading The War of Art, what was really refreshing was, hey, I got to stop. Now I can no longer have to look at myself as, hey, there's something wrong with me that I, I'm anxious about these things. That's just the normal. That's just normal. So instead of spending resources and trying to, you know, I'm freaking out because I'm always coming upon dragons. Well, now dragons are normal. So instead of trying to live a dragon-free world, I'll try to prevent them and avoid them if I have to, but I'll focus on being a dragon slayer instead of trying to create a dragon-free world. That's how I, that's how I see it now. Yeah, that's a great way of, of looking at it, Richard. You know, I, um, and I think that is a real key insight. It took me a long time to even come to that myself, you know, mm -hmm. that, that there was, because the thing about resistance, and I know you know this very well, is that it, it pretends to be personal. You know, mm -hmm. you hear this voice in your head that tells you, you know, you're not good enough to do this or whatever, or that tries to make you afraid. You know, I'm scared to do this or distracts you or and all that sort of stuff. And you think it's your voice. Yeah. You know, you think, oh, that's me logically assessing the situation, you know, but it's not. It's this objective force, force of nature that like gravity called resistance that is at the same time it's saying that to you, it's saying that to me, and it's saying it to, you know, 90 million other people around the world who are trying to follow their calling or find their calling or sit down and do their work. Um, so once you kind of realize it really isn't you, you're, there's nothing wrong with you. There's not this crazy voice in your head. Everybody experiences this. That's a real liberating and empowering thing. Yeah. You say, well, it, shit, if everybody has to do that, well, I'll just face it one way or another. Yeah. Yeah, it, that's really what happened to me when I, it kind of happened, certainly when I read The War of Art, then I, in launching this show eight years ago, then starting getting people on this show who have, 
achieve significant things that I'm like, wow, this person has, has achieved so many monumental things. And they're saying, look, today I had imposter syndrome and I just, <laughs> you know, if they, it was Steve Forbes that actually told me, he said, man, if they only, he was said he was in the shower that morning and, and just fretting over, man, if these people really knew how unprepared I was for this negotiation, they'd laugh me out of the room. Yeah. If Steve Forbes is saying that, you know, Barbara Corkin said the same thing to me. Yeah. It's uh, let me ask you something, Richard, you yourself. Was it a big moment for you when you got laid off from the airlines? Was that like a, a crisis you, moment in your life or did you yeah. just take it in stride? I took it in it, I took it in stride on the service. I knew everything. I think I was saying, hey, because I being an aviator, being in the Marine Corps and kind of how learning from my parents to deal with things kind of stoically. But I think internally it was a gut punch and I was I was pretty panicky on the inside for sure. You know, I, I was like, okay, my identity has been stripped away, which is the wrong way to look at it. That's a whole nother conversation. And it led me to, um, it led me to be more reactive than I should have. I, I think I thought I was handling it the right way, but if I look back at it with marination and retrospect, I was reacting instead of listening to the muse or the angels or whatever that calling was. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, did you feel like you, did it take you a while to evolve or to yes. come to the next stage, whatever that was? Yes, and, it wasn't uh, instantaneous. It took, it was going through that, being in the mud for that long, you know, it was what I call an in the mud moment, right? And, uh -huh. and, and I figured out how to pull myself out of the mud, but pulling myself out of the mud was realizing, look, just this is just, if you can get to the point to where you're going, and I think this is what's so hard about it. If you can create this outcome mindset, which is what the war of art really kind of gets you to, like, what am I trying to achieve here? Once I got to that outcome-based mindset, then I could choose how I responded. Then I started harnessing the anxiety as opposed to reacting to the anxiety. And that's what, to me, the war of art teaches you. It teaches you to harness the anxiety, where the anxiety and the fear becomes a blessing and a barometer of what you should do next, if you listen to it, if you listen to it. But it took me a long time to get to that point. Yeah, it's like they, they don't tell you how long it takes. You know, <laughs> they don't teach you that. You know? Well, it almost but, led to me. Get, it almost led to me getting divorced. You know, I got ah. served divorce, divorce papers because of that eight years of getting getting kicked in the gut ah. losing that job and then kind of finding my way yeah. what i consider reacting to and then that another splat moment sitting in a hotel room on my knees crying thinking i've lost everything right yeah because i wasn't yeah. being i wasn't being authentic to you i think i was i know i wasn't being authentic i was i could talk a good game i could play the part but I wasn't authentic, transparent, or vulnerable. Uh-huh. It's interesting how the passage is, is kind of the same for everybody <laughs> in yeah. some crazy way. You know, it is it is the hero's journey. You know, it has those beats, male mm -hmm. or female, whatever age, um, you know, uh, and they don't t tell you that either. You know, the other <laughs> thing, I'm just trying to sort of project myself by imagination into, into your life when you were in the Marine Corps and you were a flyer from from the outside it's like a really manly you know uh what could be more of a you know a, a, right. a manly operation you know but in fact you're really protected it's almost like being a professional athlete 
You know, yeah. where people think, like if you're a professional football player, people think, oh, man, J.J. Watt, the guy can kick anybody's ass on the whole field, you know. <laughs> but in fact, the guy has probably, and I don't want to say anything against J.J. Watt, he's probably been pampered since he was in fourth grade, you know, and he was the biggest kid in fourth grade and could knock everybody down. Um, and uh, it, suddenly it becomes a shock like this. Like, I think what you went through is kind of what professional athletes go through or also military, you know, officers or enlisted men yeah. when they have to, you know, when they retire and they suddenly are, are back in the real world of uh, you realize that you were protected. You know, you had a structure around you. You had an identity. You put on a uniform each day. You had ribbons. You know, when you when you screwed up, you had a, a boss that would, you know, rake you over the coals. And when you did good, you got a medal or you got something like that. So you were you were your identity was established for you. Even your day, you know, the hours of the day were prescribed for you. Right. You know, you're going to get up at this hour. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. You're going to wear this. You're going to eat this, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, like uh, whenever I see a thing like Brett Favre or somebody like that, you know, when he goes back home to, yeah. uh, you know, wherever wherever it is, Arkansas or Alabama, where is he? Where is he from? I don't know where he is yeah, from, I but Mississippi, Mississippi, yeah, Mississippi, and how he had to sort of, you know, get it together. I, I would I would love to hear the real story of. And also you talk about divorce, you know, it's kind of it lands on the wife, right? The poor wife, you know, <laughs> married this hero. And now the guy's at home, you know, 20 hours a day, uh, aimlessly wandering around, you know, so it, it's definitely a real transition. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, and I wanted to take the time to introduce you to Ben Hutton, the sponsor of today's episode. Ben, tell our listeners what Hutton is all about. Hey, thanks, Richard. You know, we're a huge dose of leadership fans here at Hutton, so I appreciate the opportunity to sponsor your, your program and be with you here today. You know, Hutton is a commercial architecture and construction firm headquartered in Kansas, but we do work really throughout the Midwest, designing and building things like hospitals, office buildings, schools, industrial and manufacturing facilities. But really, uh, more than that, we see ourselves as leaders in the communities that we serve. Yeah, that's one thing I've always appreciated about you, knowing you all these years. I love your intention around leadership and your vision as a company. So what do you think makes Hutton different? Sure. You know, Richard, our purpose is to build life into our employees' dreams, clients' visions, and communities' future. We really start with putting our people first, and then we keep people at the center of everything that we do, which really means we walk alongside of our clients from the very first thoughts they have about a building all the way through completion and then maintenance into the future. I love it. I'm, that's why I'm glad that you're a sponsor of this show, Ben. So great. How can people learn more about your company? Yeah, so to learn just a little bit more about us, you could go to huttonbuilds.com slash togetherwebuild. Great, Ben. Thanks for being a sponsor. Your, your analysis of that is spot on. You know, I was thinking about when I got laid off, it was such a gut punch. And, you know, but it feeds into the lie, I think, and I'm curious what you think about this, this big lie that I think most of us fall fall victim to is that we put our identity, particularly men, I think, but this is for everybody. We, we put our identity and what we accomplish and what other people think about us. Like that's our identity. And like, I wanted you to know that I was a Marine Corps pilot. I wanted you to know that I was an aviator and I put my identity. When that went away, I started searching. And I think the war of art kind of makes you listen to the angels, the muse, the God, whatever you believe. Right. Yeah. And you start to look at those, that anxiety as a blessing. 
and you start thinking more outcome focused, like what am I trying to accomplish here? Kind of like to me, I picture, I don't know if you explicitly did this, but when you finally went through your whole life of like, you know, the Marine Corps, some failed marriages, driving a truck in your whole life, you knew that you wanted to be a writer. And finally, at some point you said, God damn it, I'm going to go write. I'm tired of this. Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, you realize you've been running away from something your whole life. Yeah. And you got to just, you know, if you don't turn around and face it, you're just going down the tubes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, this is good stuff. I don't Have know. You, I mean, I, I, and I'm trying to think about the character. I'm thinking about your your book, which is so great. Well, all your characters in your book. But in this one, Telamon is like, it's kind of what happens to him, right? I mean, he's kind of always identified himself as this legionnaire, this I don't know. He he didn't really have. That's really not his identity, though, is it? I well, just I sort of. You know, he's sort of. Uh, he's an archetypal character that there are a lot of other characters kind of like him, like in movies. You know, like uh, I th I think of him like as a gunslinger, like a western yeah. gunslinger or a samurai. You know, who's kind of uh, sort of like being in the Marine Corps. Like his identity is this kind of man of violence, but also a man who really has it together in his one sphere. You know, he can withstand, he can beat anybody fighting. He can withstand right. any hardship. You know, he can endure anything, but that's it. You know, he's, he's really sort of blocked into this warrior archetype and, and uh, he senses that it's not enough. You know, something's missing. He's stuck. He can't really go beyond anything. And when when he when he opens himself to love a little yeah. bit, then he then he evolves. But it's really a classic character. If you think of a lot of Clint Eastwood characters, mm -hmm. um, the Bogart character in Casablanca, um, all John Wayne in The Searchers, it's a, sort of a similar thing where you have this hardcore character that you know comes in contact with with one or more people who kind of need him. And he fights it, he fights it, he fights it. And at some point he kind of yields to it. And to his amazement, that's what saves him. And, and uh, you know, uh, and, he, and he really has moved beyond that stuck point. And I think a lot of us are in that place. You know, the, our American culture is very competitive, right? If you're a guy, you're, there's a lot, a lot of pressure on you to be a man, quote unquote, right? <laughs> right. Um, and, and many people find at some point, particularly if you're in the military or you're, a, you're an athlete of some kind, that that sort of runs out, right? Just by, you just get too old, right? All of a sudden you wake <laughs> up and, you know, you're 55 years old and you can't really fight the same 22-year-olds you used to be able to fight, you know? Right. Or, you know, you can't run as far. You can't, you know, the airlines say, oh, you know, you're whatever, the, you know, you're, the FAA says that cert passed, whatever. Uh, and then that becomes a, a really tough thing, you know, but that's our American culture. It's a lot of cultures. I'm sure if in Russia, I'm sure it's exactly the same way, you know, yeah. it's probably, you know, and uh, in Israel, it's kind of that way. Um, there are a lot of places around the world. That's, I'm sure the Taliban, you know, those guys, it's exactly that same way. Um, yeah. But it's not, that doesn't really coincide with reality, with the deeper reality of what life is really about. And, um, so anyway, I'm rambling on here. Richard. No, you're not rambling. I, I, you know, when you brought up the example of John Wayne and the Searchers, that that's a great. There's a lot of parallels. I see that in the Searchers with this story. That's a great example how John Wayne kind of transforms in that, or John Wayne's character transforms in that movie. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I the weird that. part about that movie was you don't actually see the moment when he when he transforms. It's like all of a sudden he is transformed. You don't know <laughs> right. exactly why he suddenly changed, but right, uh, but it works. Yeah, what do you find? So, how do you, you know, you've you've written this this book, and I'm sure you get a lot of great feedback on the War of Art and how it helps people. And I think, as you said, you wrote it for writers initially. I don't think. I don't think when you wrote it, you realize how it affects someone like me or even like. True. Uh, I had no I, clue. Yeah, yeah. No clue. And I, I guess I'm curious now. How do you deal with, I mean, how easy is it for you to get sucked into the trappings? Like we said, I mean, is it still a daily struggle for you? Like it is for oh, all yeah. of us? Very yeah. much, you know, and in some ways it's even harder because I think resistance is is tremendously intelligent, you know, and it's creative. It's diabolically creative in the way it tries to screw us up, right? And it kind of knows that I've been doing this for a long time, writing, right? I've been overcoming it for a long time. So mm -hmm. it keeps coming up with new ways to fake me out, you know? And, uh, but definitely, I mean, I'm, I'm starting a new project right now. I've been starting it for a few months and I'm definitely in the throes of resistance and, uh, you know, getting hammered by it and just having to remember that I've done it in the past. You know, I know I can do it. I know that it's a force of nature and, you know, just keep slugging along day by day, but it, it certainly does not go away at all in my experience. Yeah. And, and I think the key is I, so I was thinking that, you know, how insidious the re resistance is, or I used to think leadership was so external and that it was all about, you know, projecting this image, but now I've completely shifted. Uh -huh. to like leadership, leadership is so internal. You know, it's 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 such an internal thing for me. Like if I spend 90 percent of my time working on myself, that's the best I can do as a leader. You know, setting the example, getting my internal state right. If I get my internal state right, that affects the external. And I think a lot of young leaders, and I know myself, even that way in the Marine Corps, I was more external. I wasn't focused on the internal. And I guess my point of all this is like, even now is like the self-awareness is so key in all of this and that awareness of what triggers you and knowing that, that this is resistance speaking, right. And getting comfortable with that. I got to remind myself that on a minute by minute basis. Okay. What is this teaching me? What do I do? How do I respond? Right. But that's the bulk of the battle. Wouldn't you agree that that's the bulk of the battle, that awareness piece? Can I, can I throw something else out here? And yeah. You, you can hear me. Um, I know you were talking about kind of outcome-based uh, leadership or thinking um, before, and uh, I'm I'm not sure I would agree with that. Mm. Um, I would say that it's if I were you know my own life. Now again, I'm not a leader in the sense that no, you know, I'm not commanding any group that's supposed to accomplish anything. I'm just a solitary person in a room, you know, with a keyboard, but. For me, I would say it's more, more of a lifelong practice. It's more of a um, uh, a process that uh, where the outcome, in many ways, takes care of itself. Um, and that I I certainly feel like, for me, now maybe this is not what you mean, Richard, when you said that, but for me, if I base my um, my um, my self belief or, or on the outcome of a certain thing, 
that would definitely screw me up because if like if a book comes out and it goes down in the down the tubes immediately i cannot allow that to throw me off you know to me yeah. i'm i'm on to the next next book and the next book and and it for me it's a lifetime a lifetime practice like a, a yogi practices yoga or a martial arts person practices martial arts um so now maybe I misunderstood what you meant by outcome, uh, but I would, uh, I'm sort of a believer that that the outcome is largely out of my control. And maybe that's just because I'm a writer putting stuff out in in the real world where anything can happen. You know, it can, it, it can come out at the wrong time. It can be great, but come out at the wrong time. Or it can be just out of sync with what the, what people want at that moment. But in any event, I sort of feel like the outcome is largely out of my hands and I just have to judge it, judge my work uh, by my own standards. And if, if I've done my job, then I have to kind of, that's good enough. And then to, no, to keep going. Yeah, I think I think I'm in, in total agreement with everything you're saying. I think what I meant by the outcome base was that at some point you had to listen to the angels or the muse and go, what am I trying to accomplish here? And that outcome was like, I need to be a writer. Uh, I definitely agree with that. That's been the big question. You know, what is the objective? What are we here in this meeting for? Mm -hmm. Why right. did we come together? You know, what are we trying to accomplish? Yeah, that's number one. Yeah, I think that's that's what I meant by that. I don't uh, think. I yeah, okay, I certainly then we're in agreement. I, yeah, I certainly wouldn't. I wouldn't gauge. To me, that's a victory that you decided to become a writer. Now, if you if you write something that sells, that's gravy. But right. I think that's what I agree with that. I think it, it, it's listening. It, it's a, it, listening authentically to what, what your calling is, right. That you, you have to pay attention to that calling. Right. Yes. And in the end, the only judge can be yourself or, or maybe some small group that really knows you and, and, and really understands what you're trying to do. Um, yeah, no, that's great stuff. The other side yeah. of that, of course, is that you can have a, a big success with something that mediocre and you can't right. really take that too seriously either. Right. Right. Well, what's next for you then? What do you, what you said you're working on something else. I know you can't probably reveal too much, but is it, is it writing a new book? Or is it some other Avenue? And what are you, what are you pushing yourself to do? Um, I always say that I am a, that I am a servant of the muse. You know, I, as you know, you've read my stuff, Richard, you know, yeah. I'm a, I'm a believer in a, in another dimension of reality. I'm a believer that ideas don't come from us, that, that they come through us from some other place. So I sort of go when, if I'm writing a book, book one, uh, that's an, it's like an assignment I've received from the muse, from the goddess, from some higher dimension. And when that's done, I, I sort of ask the goddess, well, what's next? What do you want me to do next? And, and my job, as I see it, is just to go from one to another. Like a lot, an example that I use to myself here, I think about like, say, Bruce Springsteen's albums. If you, if you wrote a list of all of his albums, you could see 
how he moved from one to another to another. And they're all kind of, you know, they're different, but they're the same. You know, there's a theme to them. And, and the thing about it is only he could have done those albums, you know, or pick anybody else, Jay-Z or, you know, whatever. Only that one person could have done them, you know. Um, nobody else could have done Darkness at the Edge of Town. Nobody else could have done The River. That was him. Um, so I'm trying to do that myself. And I think as an entrepreneur, it's the same thing, right? You move from maybe you open a Chinese restaurant and, you know, that fails. And the next thing you do is you open some kind of a, uh, you know, a, a dry cleaning business. Or then you open a space business where you're blasting rockets into space, you know. But you're sort of following some sort of uh, field of potentiality that's in, uh, in a higher dimension. That's, that's how I see it. So I'm just I hoping that. that I that I can keep going and keep keep serving the muse as I go. I love that you know, outlook and I agree with that. And I'm curious, how do you know how do you know you're hearing from the muse of the goddess? How do you know it's not the ego telling you to do something? How do you know what how do you discern the difference, I guess? Well, one way, you know, for sure is by the level of resistance you feel. Yeah. You know, if you feel massive resistance, then that's a good sign. It tells you that the bad guy, the devil, that's the resistance, is trying to stop you. So if the devil's trying to stop you, you know that you must be on the right track. But also right. on the positive side, you know, you just kind of feel it. You're just sort of yeah. seized by something. You know, I don't think, I mean, even like when Michael Jordan went to play baseball, I think that was that was his muse in some kind of a crazy way, you know, and, and only he he knew it. But then when he went back to basketball, that was his even his higher muse. That's interesting. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I think that's where I struggle. I, I've gotten better at it, but knowing what the difference is, I think, you know, the resistance is a great key. And I think, too, is I've kind of shifted to the mantra of like our our universal obligation is to make the place better than you found it. Kind of like the old Boy Scout adage of like, make yeah. the campsite better than when you came, yeah. came on it. Yeah. Is I that what the Boy Scouts say? Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a universal uh, obligation, right? That while we're here for the short time, yeah. it's like, let's make the place better than we found it. And if I can meet that criteria and the resistance is huge, then I'm probably on the right track. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Another th thing I found about the, the next assignment coming from the muse, and this is in my experience, it's almost always a surprise. Mm. It's almost always something where you say to yourself, it's like getting orders in the Marine Corps, right? You get, you <laughs> open up the packet and it, it's coming from the goddess and you go, really? This is what I'm supposed to be doing, you know? And, uh, but it's, I sort of believe that the goddess knows better than we do, you know? Yeah, that's a good and, way to look at it. And uh, so, but but I, it's almost always a surprise, at least for me. You know, it's funny that you say that. I can't tell you how many times people on this show have said, man, when are we talking about it? Like, I had no idea I would be doing this. You know, 15 yeah, years yeah. ago, if you'd asked me if I was doing this, I had no idea. But I'm yes. so glad I am. So true, it, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I, I think they listen to those, they listen to that calling and they and a couple doors present themselves and they go through one of them right? yeah yeah man i gotta tell you it's been such a thrill having you on the show you've been so so impactful in my entrepreneurial journey my personal journey and uh it's just i i'm so grateful for you and all the work that you've done so thank you for everything hey my pleasure it's great to be talking to you 
How can people learn more about you? Obviously, you're, you're well known out there, but how can people reach out to you and, and learn more about particularly the brand new book that you have out there, uh, A Man at Arms? Well, let's see. Let me put this up here just so we can do a little pitch here. It's called A Man at Arms. But anybody can uh, – I have a website that's just my name, Stephen Pressfield. You can find me there. And the book is available everywhere. Um, I'm on Instagram. Yeah, just the regular Google around and you'll find yeah. You're easy to find and, you're, oh, and yeah. your work, your work is legendary. I'm, I'm everywhere. <laughs> you're everywhere. Stephen, you're, it, what, again, what a treat. Thanks for coming on the show. And I'll have links to all this in my show notes. It's been a, a fun conversation uh, despite all the technical difficulties. Well, Thank you no, for your patience. No Thanks problem. for coming. Great to be with another jarhead. Yeah, that's right. Semper Fi. <laughs> Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh.